Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. I am your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the show today. Now, today on the show, we're going to be joined by Doug Stege, a retired founder of Renew Air, and he's going to walk us through a day in the life of building a passive house compliant home. He's going to explain why he took this initiative in the first place, the features and methodologies that he employed, and he's going to provide some advice for others who are building a passive house compliant home as well. So, Doug, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. It's great to join you and Nick. Absolutely. And as you heard Doug mention, we're also joined here today once again by Nick Agopian, the VP of Sales and Marketing at Renew Air. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. Thank you, Tyler. It's always good to be here. And uh, especially having Doug today, uh, you know, we've done a number of podcasts with regards to indoor air quality and energy recovery. Uh, and, I f and, and we've had an amazing group of people, um, as scientists and engineers with uh, uh, research and, and science proving uh, what the problem is and, and, and what we can do accordingly, especially in this new era of uh, COVID-19. However, having Doug is, is, um, um, is, is, is something that, that's exceptional as far as I'm concerned, because... Um, Doug is one of the original primary founders of Renew Air. Um, and, uh, you know, when when we go back to the 70s, uh, as I have and, and, and some of our listeners have, um, you know, we used to be able to just open the tap and drink water and we didn't have to pay $1.50 for a bottle of water. Um, when it was very unpopular to look at energy recovery and look at ventilation and the criticality behind ventilation uh, back in the 70s, um, Doug, as the founder, had the vision to 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 be able to say, "I am going to trailblaze through an area that nobody has ever gone to." And and while at Renewer, you know, knock on wood, we've been very very successful. But what Doug has done uh, to allow someone like me to achieve the success and to follow in his footsteps uh, is absolutely incredible. So it's a real honor to be here today. Uh, and present with Doug, especially on a topic such as Passive House um, and and following the uh, American Passive House Conference that that literally just concluded last week in Terrytown, New York, and and looking at the uh, uh, the motivation of these people and where it's going, I feel Doug started a revolution back in the '70s, and and we're just continuing it. So so Doug, it's a pleasure to be presenting with you in this podcast. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about what inspired you that got us to where we are here today. Well, uh, in the late 1970s, before I uh, started uh, Renew Air with Chuck Gates and uh, Dan Cotley, um, uh, I was housing technology coordinator uh, for the state of Wisconsin. And when I was there, uh, we were concerned about uh, building very energy efficient buildings we didn't want to heat a bunch of outside air that was leaking through the buildings at that time. Uh, so we started to look at making them very airtight. And uh, one of the things that you need to do uh, when you have an airtight home is you start to get an accumulation of pollutants in the home, uh, including excess water vapor that can show up in cold weather on windows and and uh, cause all kinds of other problems in the construction itself, but also um, uh, starts to affect the health of the occupants in the homes. 
Well, uh, I heard about a, a product that would be able to provide ventilation and recover heat. And I actually sent away for a set of uh, blueprints for hand-built air-to-air heat exchangers, they were called at the times, from the University of Saskatchewan in Canada, and uh, uh, built one of those uh, air-to-air heat exchangers <laughs> and installed it in uh, the... Uh, first home that my wife and I actually built on the site of uh, the home that we're going to be discussing today. And um, and so that was really the first experience uh, with doing that. Um, uh, that particular product was very crude. It was built sort of like a cedar uh, st- uh, strip canoe uh, with uh, taking layers of uh, polyethylene film and folding it back and forth across cedar strips to uh, make a, uh, a heat exchange matrix. And it was about the size of a closet. And, um, and uh, we looked uh, at products that could do that better and more efficiently. And, um, and uh, luckily that's allowed uh, homes to be built virtually airtight today and still provide healthy ventilation. Well, I'm glad that it was a Canadian university as a Canadian uh, that helped inspire you. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Tyler, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I loved that that introduction that you gave, Nick, and just the context that that provides for this episode and for our conversation with with Doug here today. And, you know, Doug, you talked about the site uh, of the house where the, the, uh, the home that, that we're talking about here today. And, and so I, I want to talk about that house. Tell me a little bit about what made you take the initiative to create a new passive home, uh, passive house compliant home. Uh, what, what made you take that initiative? What kind of prompted that? Well, uh, my wife and I have always been interested in energy efficiency. That's really what got us involved in the founding of Renew Air and uh, uh, the products that we uh, were very interested in, in uh, being involved in. And uh, uh, we, through the years, have uh, experimented <laughs> with uh, making homes as energy efficient as possible. We've had five homes now that we've uh, built from the ground up or remodeled extensively to make them energy efficient. Uh, each one of them have had solar features in them. Each one of them have had uh, energy recovery ventilators <laughs> in them. And uh, um, we've uh, continued to use uh, new products and techniques uh, that would make uh, the most efficient homes possible as we've had the fortune to be able to uh, work on this sort of uh, experimental home construction hobby that we've had through the years. You know, you mentioned your experience and uh, and what you've learned from those previous uh, previous times of uh, of trying your hand at this. So what did you learn from those, those previous experiences? What, what sorts of things did you learn and then apply to this particular instance? Well, uh, one of the things that uh, is important and how the term passive house got its name was to take advantage of free energy from the sun. And so you do uh, want to include in the design of the home uh, 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 a significant amount of self-facing windows that allow solar radiation to come through and then is trapped using the greenhouse effect <laughs> in the house to, uh, to trap heat uh, within the house. Uh, you additionally need 
uh, more thermal mass in the house to moderate that uh, heat buildup and to store that energy so that it can be released slowly during the evening. Um, and you also need uh, shading features on the outside of the house to make sure that uh, during the summer, you don't overheat the house and have too much glare and, uh, and have an uncomfortable house that way. So passive solar energy is important to take advantage of. Uh, the next critical thing is to make the, the shell of the home as energy efficient as possible. That includes large amounts of insulation. This particular home has our values in the walls in excess of R30, in the roof uh, in excess of R100. Um, uh, but no matter how much insulation you add um, and how good the insulating qualities of the windows and doors are, which we also uh, included in the selection of the materials that were available to us at this time in this home, uh, if you have leaks in the home where outside air can bypass all that insulation, <laughs> um, you don't get the value of the insulation. So uh, there are techniques that can be used to during the construction of the home to make that home be extremely airtight, uh, uh, almost to uh, completely stop uh, cold air in winter, hot air in summer, uh, leaking through the home and, uh, and uh, bypassing the insulation and causing high energy bills and discomfort from, from drafts. So, um, so we use those techniques and uh, uh, we're able to make a home that is nearly airtight. Uh, you can test that with a device called a blower door by sticking a big fan in the exterior door of the home and pumping pressure. Uh, it's not a huge amount of pressure, but it's enough pressure so that during the construction of the home, you can feel for drafts and use smoke sticks to search for places in the construction that there is leakage and seal those up before you start to put on the drywall and the trim and the other uh, finished materials uh, uh, on the construction of the home. And then you also do the blower door at the very end of the whole process, the end of the construction, to uh, uh, see where your house stands in terms of of uh, the air tightness quality because it helps you then to determine how much mechanical ventilation you need <laughs> in order to provide uh, helpful um, ventilation for, for the occupants in the home and to make sure that you don't start to have accumulation of moisture in the home and uh, uh, the potential for structural issues um, to ma maintain a good structural integrity uh, of the home system. So um, uh, so those were very important in the construction, some of the most important things. Finally, the last thing that we're able to do in this home, uh, we've used in all of our homes besides passive solar energy, uh, uh, active solar systems to provide either heat for the home or for hot water. In this case, we were able to take advantage of the uh, 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 great reductions in costs of solar electric systems in the last few years and uh, include enough solar electric panels uh, uh, in this home to uh, be off grid, uh, which includes having to have battery storage. And um, 
also have to have very energy efficient appliances and lighting. And, um, and uh, by using uh, the efficiency, electrical efficiency in the construction of the home and a large solar electric system. Uh, the last four years since moving into that home, we've been able to be off grid. I got a couple of questions and, a, and, and maybe a comment. Um, when you talk, when we look at fenestration or, or, or the windows and the shading, um, is there a difference between when you apply shading on the outside of the house as compared to applying shading on the inside of the house? Um, is there a difference? And if so, do they uh, provide different functions? Well, uh, yes, there are different functions uh, for that. Uh, um, the architectural exterior shading is something that is uh, a very good thing to incorporate into the design of the home because you never let the solar radiation get through the glass and uh, to the inside of the home. Uh, another uh, opportunity that you have uh, to reduce the amount of solar energy being uh, transmitted through the glass is on the west side particularly, but the east and west side, sides other than the south, you uh, can get uh, uh, glazing glass that has uh, a certain solar gla uh, coefficient, uh, shading coefficient. So it can reduce the amount of heat buildup in summer on those east and west facing uh, glass uh, areas that uh, can provide nice views, can provide uh, lighting for, for um, visual lighting in the house, but uh, can uh, start to generate too much heat in the summer. <laughs> Uh, then you can also have movable uh, shading um, that in the Wisconsin climate is important because while you have the best gl glass that might be available, uh, our values uh, that are probably somewhere in the range of about four or five uh, for the glass uh, uh, system itself, uh, we've been able to add movable insulation uh, on the inside that also um, would add about another R5. So bringing the total window system up to about an R10. Um, uh, that movable glazing also can be used to shade the glass during uh, uh, warm, uh, hot periods of time during the year. Okay. Just one comment, uh, Tyler. Um, Doug touched on the sealing integrity of the envelope in the enclosure. And, and the criticality behind that is twofold. You've got the, um, the aspect of those drafts. Like a lot of us in the 70s and the 80s, we'd, we'd have uh, leaky windows and leaky doors. And you'd have the, this uncontrolled air. So creating a division between what is the controlled environment and what is the uncontrolled environment becomes very critical on the thermal comfort of the space. And then, of course, the energy efficiency, because uh, when you take a look at Wisconsin and Minneapolis and our friends up in the north in Canada, in the middle of January, you're going to have this really, really cold air coming in. It becomes uh, very uncomfortable besides very expensive uh, to heat and cool because we end up overheating. Uh, in the wintertime and overcooling in the summertime. But there is a secondary aspect as well. And the secondary aspect is uncontrolled ventilation because technically um, a leaky home uh, offers ventilation. It's like opening a window. Um, but uncontrolled ventilation 
um, can be problematic, especially in non-attainment areas where you have high levels of ozone on the outside. Um, and then more importantly, PM 2.5, which we now know is um, extremely dangerous uh, to our health um, because it does end up in our bloodstream and circulates and ends up in our brain and in all of our organs. So it has a twofold on, on, on sealing the space. While it can be difficult to seal spaces, the blower door helps because you can reverse the blower door, put it into depressurization and go around with like a little um, 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 smoke generating piece of equipment. And, and you can see where drafts are coming in as you move around and you can seal them accordingly. Over to you. Well, that's excellent stuff, and uh, and Doug, thank you so much for 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 explaining it the way you did. I think that you you really laid out a strong case for why you took each step along the way that you did. And I, I'm curious, this is obviously something that you know a lot about and have cared about for a long time. But how do you stay up to date with the latest in terms of technology and methodologies uh, as you go about doing these projects? Uh, what methods do you employ to to make sure that you have the latest uh, information and technology in uh, a home like this that you've built? Well, I don't get as much of a chance to do this uh, now that I'm retired, but uh, certainly, um, like Nick had mentioned, him being out to the Passive Solar Conference um, uh, and the, the various conferences that uh, Renew Air uh, was exhibiting at and participating in through the years uh, uh, was a huge help of having contacts uh, in the industry to see the latest materials that were coming out. Um, for example, in our new home, uh, the Renew Air Energy Recovery Ventilator that we have um, uh, uh, four years ago was a prototype <laughs> that has since become the uh, high performance uh, Renew Air models that include um, uh, ECM uh, motors uh, for the blowers. Uh, those uh, offer uh, very high electrical efficiency. So again, reducing the load so you need, can get by with a lower solar electric system, but uh, also the soft start uh, function is something that is very nice. Uh, you don't have an inrush current, uh, like you start up uh, standard blowers, um, which uh, with uh, the smaller uh, electric system uh, could cause flickering uh, of lights and things like that. Um, and um, the soft start also is a, a very nice feature for uh, being uh, quiet, that you don't hear the, the blowers come on uh, when the unit runs. So we were fortunate enough to get uh, the early prototype and be a, a, a test uh, location for the high efficiency renewer models that uh, have entered the market in the last year or so. Now, Doug, both you and Nick have mentioned uh, blower door testing and, and its importance. Can you talk us just through why it's such an important step to take uh, when you are building a home like this? Uh, why it's such an important step to take to, to do that blower door testing just to know kind of where you stand? Sure. Uh, well, uh, the same uh, builder uh, from, from one house to another uh, 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 can have variations in the design of the home enough where there can be uh, some challenges to making uh, a continuous uh, air barrier uh, in the home. Um, also, budgets may be different uh, for, for different uh, 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 owners uh, of the homes. And so it's important to have the blower door to be able to test your whole system and know where you stand in terms of the standards in the industry, in terms of air tightness for the home. Um, 
the, the final test, uh, well, and, and during construction, you can improve your techniques and make sure that your tech, your your builders are are doing a good job and that they didn't miss something. Uh, but at the very end, it's important to know how much mechanical ventilation you need to provide that that uh, generous fresh air uh, for your health and uh, and to maintain structural integrity in the home. So so that's why the blower door is important. And um, virtually every home can benefit from having uh, a blower door test and, and make very significant improvements. The cost of the materials to make it uh, uh, homes airtight. Uh, are not expensive. It's the technique and and how well uh, those materials are applied. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a fantastic explanation. Thank you so much for for that, Doug. And so uh, I'm curious, just why you decided not to pursue the passive house certification? What what went into that decision, and why did you come to that conclusion? Well, we were challenged a bit that unfortunately our general contractor passed away partway through the construction, and I had to take on more of the uh, uh, general contracting uh, type of functions at the end with subcontractors, uh, which was one of the issues involved for sure. But there, there's a fair amount of uh, documentation and work that's necessary that uh, uh, I had just felt it was more important to get the house right than to get the documentation right uh, to uh, um, be able to seek the, the certification. And uh, I feel real good about it. Uh, our uh, final blower door uh, number was uh, uh, 0.44 uh, air change per hour at 50 pascals. That's that's the standard. It's about two tenths of an inch of of pressure that you pump up in the whole house uh, um, uh, for that standard, and um, that's a very low net net that shows a virtually zero natural infiltration. Uh, that will be occurring in the home um, um, because you don't have that additional pressure uh, with the natural infiltration. So, Doug, you might have people that are listening or watching along with this episode of the show and thinking, you know, I, I'm either building a, a passive home, uh, a passive house compliant home, or I'm thinking about it. What what sorts of advice do you have for people that uh, that are going through the process or thinking about going through the process? Now that you've done it, uh, what what sorts of things would you recommend to them uh, to do in, in, in this particular case? Well, I would recommend that people uh, find a general contractor who has experience with uh, building uh, passive homes or homes that are routinely using uh, blower door testing to make the homes be airtight. They can say they're energy efficient, um, but uh, there needs to be testing involved. Uh, I always tell people um, it, it's always a value to uh, uh, see if you can cut out a hundred square foot uh, uh, in the size of the home that you're going to be constructing. Because with the money uh, that you would spend on that 100 square foot, uh, you can put in some really nice windows and doors. Uh, you can put in a very efficient, effective uh, energy recovery mechanical ventilation system um, uh, in there. And uh, you have a nice budget to work with then to do all the things you need to do to make a home that will be uh, not only very comfortable, very quiet, uh, very energy efficient, so low operating costs through the years, but one that will retain its uh, sales value as there are 
uh, spikes in energy costs in the future. And uh, uh, so uh, those are the main things I would recommend. Um, uh, look, look at uh, someplace where you can save uh, 100 square feet of, of uh, construction floor area and at the cost per 100 square feet, cost per square foot for construction today, you'll have all the budget you need to do a, a really good job of uh, energy efficient construction. Nick, you've heard uh, what, what Doug has been talking about and describing here on the podcast. What are some thoughts that you have, uh, either just kind of in, in terms of uh, conclusion thoughts or summarization thoughts or, or anything that you'd like to bring up that, that maybe stood out in your mind throughout this conversation? When we look at Passive House, it's a um, methodology. It's a methodology with regards to looking at the type of construction uh, Doug alluded to windows, he alluded to the roof, he alluded to the walls, he alluded to now putting it all together as a system, meaning interface points are sealed, uh, and once again, to create that barrier between the inside and the outside. Um, there are other programs out there um, uh, with the Department of Energy called Net Zero Homes. Um, once again, that's looking at a home uh, that doesn't use energy outside of what it could produce on site. You can use solar panels, you can use wind, but at the end of the day, it's all about decarbonization. It's looking at lowering an individual's carbon footprint. Um, besides that, you have indoor air quality plus programs, which improves the indoor air quality within the space. Foundationally, whether it's the net zero, whether it's indoor air quality plus, or if it's passive house, Foundationally, they're all talking about the same thing, your construction methodology, how you put it together and, and, and how you control it. Now, I love the fact that Doug said for 100 square feet, you can essentially upgrade your construction methodology to be able to accommodate um, these, uh, these higher performing home attributes. Um, and it's true because if we look at back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and even in the early 2000s, Yes, it was expensive to look at um, a passive house type of application. But today, uh, and based on the, the data that I saw last week at the passive house conference in Terrytown, you're talking about a 10% increase in cost because codes now mandate certain ceiling requirements. Um, so to go that extra step is very, very small. Now, when we look at passive house, uh, you have PHI, which is the European or the German equivalent to PHIUS, which is FIAS. Um, they're, they're pretty much almost the same, but there are some fundamental differences uh, because when we look at European standards, uh, they focus heavily on sensible uh, energy. When we look at the American ones, especially when you go down to the south where it's very humid, uh, we need to look at these standards a little bit differently because of the humidity uh, impact. Um, and whether you certify or whether you don't certify, we're seeing a large amount of homes that are net zero ready um, or passive house ready, meaning that everything to get to the point of certifying has been done. So you've achieved what you want to achieve. Uh, it's just some people want to label, some people don't want to label. But when you get to this kind of construction methodology, it's a differentiating value proposition that your neighbor will not have. And when we look at affordable housing for the society, 
we have to look at passive house design, uh, um, um, uh, I guess, parameters, uh, because energy costs and operational costs are paramount in order to be able to achieve what we label as, as affordable housing. So when we look at a lot of the construction starts that have passive house um, uh, standards applied to them, we see a tremendous amount of affordable housing that comes in. In addition, um, we're seeing a hockey stick type of a uh, of a graph where if we go back to 2004, we were in the range of, 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 of hundreds to maybe a couple of thousand um, um, passive house construction starts. Today, we're in the tens and tens of thousands of, of, of projects that are starting or getting certification requirements for passive house. And even though we use the word passive house, where the operative word is house, we're seeing way more than houses today. We're looking at a lot of mixed use type of buildings and not only homes. The latest one that's about to start up in New York, um, just outside of New York City, is a 26 or 29 story structure that's mixed use between commercial, institutional, meaning like medical and um, residential. And if it's not only that kind of application, you've got schools, you've got gyms, you've got restaurants, all of these people that are now looking at passive house designs. And then ultimately, the next step is not to go to a net zero home, but a positive energy home, meaning that your meter, your electric meter no longer turns this way, but turns backwards, meaning that you can sell your energy back to the utility companies and, and make money. But in order to be able to do that, even with the most energy efficient systems, you have to look at the structure and the skin and make sure that you've got the ceiling integrity and the right method construction methodology to be able to, uh, to achieve that. So when you're looking at construction, it's build it tight and ventilate it right. That's an excellent shout, Nick. Absolutely. And something that we've mentioned on on just about every episode, if not every episode of IAQIQ is build it tight, ventilate it right. It's a great point. Doug, uh, anything that you'd like to say as we start to wrap up this episode uh, in closing, um, just about your passive house uh, compliant home, um, any, anything else that you'd like to mention, uh, just either to summarize things or uh, or maybe that we haven't mentioned yet? Well, uh, again, uh, uh, these homes are not only very energy efficient, but uh, they're extremely uh, comfortable. They're a joy to live in. Uh, and uh, you can enjoy the, the sunshine coming in and the fresh air uh, while you're indoors. <laughs> we, all, we all like to go for walks and appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. Doug Stege, retired founder of Renew Air and truly a, a pioneer in this area. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great being with you. Absolutely. And Nick, uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you once again for, for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tyler and Doug. So good seeing you again. And thank you for everything that you've done and uh, set us on the right track where we're at today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Take care.
And everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality. And you, of course, we, we hope that you've enjoyed it very much, uh, learning from Doug and from his expertise and knowledge in this area. I think it's been a real treat and a real pleasure for us here on the podcast. So thank you once again for joining us. Remember, you can find us on Renew Air's website as well as iTunes and Spotify to stay up to date with the latest episodes of IAQIQ. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes and more insights from experts across the industry. But for this one, but for this one, for Nick and Doug, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.